Let's give a hand to the worship team. And uh, while we're at it, let's not forget about our sound and media people who do such a fantastic job every Sunday. I don't know where we would be without all you guys, so thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, uh, we need to dismiss the children for Children's Church. So if you're a kid and you're headed to Children's Church, let's pray over them as they go. Uh, Father God, we praise you for our students and our kids. We pray that uh, you would infect their lives with your love and your goodness and your light, and that even at a young age, they would be walking around shining your light in dark places. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Taylor and I have some news. Uh, many of you guys have already heard, but uh, we're having a little baby boy. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we are just so excited uh, that we get to raise our son in the presence of all of you. Um, and uh, I, I don't know, I'm already dedicating him <laughs> to the Lord. So, uh, but I'm just, I'm, I'm pumped. I'm excited about everything that God has in store. And uh, I'm just so thankful to be in a family like this one uh, where we can raise this kid together. Because uh, uh, I don't know what I'm doing, mostly. <laughs> you know, uh, in 2 Timothy, which is a, a book in the New Testament, there's this guy named Paul, the Apostle Paul, who's writing a letter to a mentee of his, a guy named Timothy. And uh, 2 Timothy is kind of Paul's like final letter to the church. Uh, because he, he's about to die, and in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he even mentions that. He, he's encouraging Timothy, who's a pastor in Ephesus, and he's saying, hey, there's, a, there's, there's so many things in this world that are really hard, but I want you to continue to push forward. I want you to continue towards the call that God has put on your life. I want you to continue doing the things that God has put in your life to do, because me, Paul, I, my life is over. He says, I've been poured out like a drink offering before the Lord. Then he writes these famous words that many of you have heard. I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I kept the faith. I imagine that in those 11 words, I've, I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith, Paul, it, it just even though they're short, he's cram-packing like this huge amount of meaning into them. Because in order for Paul to have kept the faith and finished the race and fought the good fight, he had to endure all kinds of horrible things. He, he got bit by snakes and shipwrecked. He got whipped and pelted with stones until they thought he was dead. He was under constant threat from robbers and thieves. He, the guy went through incredible hardships, and his sum, the summary of his life is, well, I made it to the end, and I didn't give up. I hope that I can say that one day, as I'm sure many of you. I hope that I can make it to the end of my race and say with such conviction and confidence that I also fought the good fight, that I finished the race, that I kept the faith. I think it should compel us to ask the question, how in the, how in the world do we run this race? What makes it possible? What is the right way to do it? Because if we want to finish the race, we have to we have, to, we have to run it, because starting the race is easy. Any of you ever started something? It's very easy to start something. 
finishing the race and finishing it well, that's a whole other story. All you have to do is look out in, in our world today. There's way too many Christian teachers and preachers and, and musicians who are out there who have left the faith. They started strong. They declared their allegiance to Jesus, and now when life has gotten rough or difficult or the world around them is telling them that what they believe is false, they've said, I guess I'm not going to finish. I'm not going to finish the race. Starting the race is easy, but finishing it, not so much. It reminds me of this passage in Hebrews chapter 12. I'm so sorry, I didn't get it on the screen, but you can look it up in your Bible, your phone Bible, or in a paper Bible if you've got one. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, just to set the scene for you really quick in Hebrews, we don't know who wrote Hebrews, uh, there's lots of different theories about who wrote it, but some, somebody wrote Hebrews, and he wrote it to believers in, at the church in Rome, and this is actually a really fun fact, the church in Rome wasn't started by an apostle, the church in Rome was started by somebody, we think, who was there on the day of Pentecost, who heard the gospel preached and proclaimed by Peter, and then went back to Rome and reported what God was doing, and, all, and, and, and the church broke out in Rome as a result, which is really, really quite exciting. I don't know, that's kind of a fun fact. Anyway, so uh, the, the Hebrew people in Rome are experiencing in, in, incredible persecution. Uh, I don't, you probably know about Emperor Nero burning Christians in his gardens to light his orgies. Like, these things are, like, really, the, the Christians are encountering terrible persecution, and it looks like they're going to continue to encounter this degree of terrible persecution. So, the writer of Hebrews writes this as an encouragement to not give up. Don't give up. Even though persecution is coming, don't give up. And he points to someone in particular as the way that you can go through these terrible trials and persecutions and not give up, and my guess is you already know who that is. Here's what it says, Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. Profound. The simple, you, you could walk away, walk away now knowing that the way that we run this race is by fixing our eyes on Jesus. That's the way that we run the race. Who are these witnesses that he's talking about? He says that in verse 1, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great crowd of witnesses. Well, as many of you know, probably, the, the numbers that are in the Bible weren't added until much later. They're just references for us to help us know how to find things so I can stand up in front of you and say, well, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, and you can flip there, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, but they weren't there in the original book. When the, the letter was originally written, it wasn't there. So it's easier when we read these things all together, and what the author of Hebrews is talking about just before this are all of these heroes of the faith. And listed on these heroes of the faith are people like Noah and Abraham and Sarah, 
David and, and Samson, like there's names that you would all be familiar with. And so what the author is doing is he's pointing back to all of these heroes of the faith and he's saying, if they were able to run the race with perseverance, so can you. Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, since we're surrounded by people who have done this before us, you can also run the race. Then he continues on, let us strip off the weight that slows us down, especially the sin that trips us up. If you keep reading in this, it says that you haven't given up your sin to the point of death yet. I think this is just a, a minute note, but how many of us allow our sin to control us rather than us controlling our sin? As a believer in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit, which means you are in control of your sin, not the other way around. You get to choose how you treat one another. It, 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 husbands, how you love your wives. Wives, how you love your husbands. You get to choose how you treat the person in traffic or how you treat the annoying person who's checking you out in line or whatever. Like, you get to choose. That's your choice. You, it, the sin doesn't control you anymore. You control it. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. What is this race? Well, I think that the race is the life of faith, which seems like the most christian sentence that I could have possibly said. The life of faith, it's, it's living each day for the glory of Jesus. It's living each day with my clear flag of allegiance being Jesus. It's persisting. Even when it gets hard, I'm going to love those around me. Even when it gets hard and costly, I'm going to still be generous. Even when it gets hard, I'm going to still live a life that honors Jesus in everything. That's the race that we're running. And if any of you have run a race before, it's not easy. I think that's why he uses the word endurance. When I was a kid, uh, every November, my dad would gather his wrestlers together. He was the coach of the wrestling team at Bear Creek for like 30-some years. And uh, he would gather the kids together, and they would run the canyon from Morrison, the town of Morrison, 11-point-something, six miles up to Evergreen. And it's an uphill climb on this curvy road and big old hills and all this stuff. And I remember every year we were so excited because we were like, wow, the wrestlers are going to run the canyon. Or dad and mom are going to run the canyon. They, they ran it before we ever did. And uh, they always did quite well. I was impressed. And we would ride, and every year we would ride in a car that said runners in the canyon, so nobody would go speeding through the canyon and hit a wrestler. But Ninth grade came, and I got invited, even though I wasn't a wrestler, I got invited to run the canyon. And up to this point, I had never run more than a mile. Like, this, in sixth grade, you know how you're supposed to run the mile? Like, I ran that, and I did very poorly. I almost passed out. Like, it was a very bad day for me. But I ran the, uh, the so I, I thought to myself, well, maybe if I train, we can make this happen. So they were doing some training runs, and our, our first run ever, I began to run, and uh, we were, were running and running, and I turned to my dad and I said, hey, once we hit like a mile, can you tell me to turn around and then I'll go back, even though you guys are planning on running four today. I just don't think I can handle four. He's like, well, we hit a mile like a ways back, so you're still good. So I, I, I ended up running two miles that day, which was very exciting for me. 
a uh, little while later, I ended up running eight miles, and then the day comes. It's like the, day, the Saturday before Thanksgiving break or whatever, and I'm nervous because I've never run this far in my life. And uh, so, the, you know, he's like, all right, go. And we start running, and teenage boys egg each other on. I'm telling you what. So we, like, sprint the first, like, quarter mile, which was so dumb. That is just a terrible theory of racing. And uh, then we just, we run. We just keep on running. And mile three, four, five, those are easy. I've been training for that. Six, seven, it's a little bit harder. Mile eight comes, and I'm like, oh. I really don't want to do this. I had decided at the very beginning, my one goal is not to be the fastest, but just to not walk. That's my one goal. I just don't want to walk. And so I remember thinking in my head, just don't walk, Nathan. So I'm like doing this number. It's kind of like walking, but I wasn't walking. I was still running. And uh, mile 9, 10, and then mile 11's always the hardest because every curve looks like the last curve that you go on to get into Evergreen. Every curve looks like, and I'm like, oh, I'm finally there. No, I'm not there. Oh, I'm finally there. No, I'm not there. And uh, I got to the point where I was just having to, you know, like, uh, just keep swimming, finding Dory or whatever. Like, I was having to just put one foot in front of the other. Endurance for me in that moment just met putting one foot in front of the other. It didn't mean being the best, didn't mean being the brightest, it just meant putting one foot in front of the other. And I think that's all that the author is asking us to do. Just put one foot in front of the other. Run the race with endurance. You don't, you don't have to look forward 70 years and be like, I don't think I can do it all. Just put one foot in front of the other today. One foot in front of the other. Run the race with endurance. And then it says, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Try to run this race without Jesus, and you just won't be able to. When we were in New York, my family went to New York one year in the summer, and uh, Along the sides of the road, they sell like imitation like handbags, like imitation Gucci and imitation, I don't know, I don't even know all the fancy names of these like <laughs> designers, but like imitation Gucci bags or whatever. And my mom was like, hey, I'm gonna buy one. So this, she goes over to the side of the road and buys a bag and it, it looks kind of good, but in the end, it was just a low quality imitation. That's all it was. It looked right on the outside, but on the inside, it was a low-quality imitation. And that's exactly what it is to run the race without Jesus. You just won't be able to. You will just be a low-quality imitation if you attempt to run this race without him. For a little while, you can fake it. You can do the right things and say the right things and be the right way and blah, 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 blah. But at the end of the day, you won't be able to run the race without Jesus. And I think what the author is saying is twofold. The first thing he's saying is, Jesus did it first, which means you can also do it. Look at, look at what he endured. Look at what he went through. That means you can also do it. But even beyond that, the second thing I think is, he's not just our example. He's the way that we run the race. He's our means to the end. He's the one who gives us strength and power to, to run the race. I'm reminded of uh, John chapter 15. I'm the vine and you are the branches. Abide in me and you will bear fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. 
And it's true. You try, to, you try to produce the fruit of the Spirit in your own life by just, like, doing it. I've, this has been the journey I've been on for the last, like, 18 months, trying to just force the fruit of the Spirit out in my life. And I'm, every night I'm asking God, God, where's the joy in my life? Where's the peace? And then finally someone pointed me to this passage, and I was like, oh, I stopped abiding. I stopped being with Jesus. Of course I'm not going to bear fruit because I'm not with him. Try to run the race without Jesus and you'll be a cheap imitation. You won't be able to do it. All right. Uh, I got invited on this mission trip to go to a remote country in Southeast Asia. And we were going to track down some of the least reached people on planet Earth. Unreached, unengaged people, 0.000% Christian. And we were going to find them and then filter that knowledge to a group of people who are raising up indigenous missionaries and sending them to these places. So I was very excited. But this is a developing country, and that means that in the cities, there's like running water and paved roads and Wi-Fi and stuff. But as you get out into the country, that's just not the case. So we decided, because of the nature of the harsh jungle terrain, we were going to use dirt bikes to get from place to place. My wife is shaking her head because she knows how this went for me. I, yeah, she was always against it. I, I was, uh, at, when the plane landed in this country in Southeast Asia, I had ridden on a dirt bike for all of three hours, maybe a cumulative distance of like 20 miles. And our journey was going to, it was set to take us a thousand miles on rough jungle terrain. If you're an expert in dirt biking, it's like a playground. If you're not an expert in dirt biking, it's whatever the opposite of a playground is. I don't know, like hell or something? Like, it's really bad. Like, just so bad. And uh, the first day wasn't so bad because we were just driving on pavement. But day two came, and we're on these really tough jungle, rutted out roads. There are two tracks, like a Jeep road and a one track, like just like a footpath. And there's gullies and ravines and all this stuff. And like every 500 yards, I hit one of these gullies. And instead of going up over the gully, I fall over and crush my knee. And like by the end of day two, day two I'm like, I've crashed like six times. I dumped it over in a river at one point, like, a, like this tall of a river. Whose idea was it to drive through that? It wasn't my idea. It was somebody else's idea. But we drove through it to get to where we were going. And man, I, it flooded the engine. My passport was soaking wet. It was just a terrible day. And there was still like nine days left. And I was like, oh gosh, how am I going to do this? And uh, the two guys I was riding with were experts, and they tried to give me insight. And uh, they were like, so Nathan, when you get to these points on the path that are really rough, like, what, what do you do? And I'm like, well, I get nervous, of course, because the pain is real, and I don't want to get hurt. And uh, they're like, what are you focusing on? And I'm like, well, I'm focusing on the obstruction. I'm focusing on the goalie. And they're like, is it any wonder that you find yourself in the goalie then? And I was like, oh. So I came up with this cadence. Look where you want to go. Just look where you want to go. Just look where you want to go. So when my anxiety was getting up because I was driving on these rough roads and I was worried about tipping it over, I started saying that out loud in my helmet so I could hear it. Just look where you want to go. And it helped. I cut my daily crash rate down from like six to one. It was very good. Very good. What I learned is that where you set your eyes is where you tend to go. And I think that's not just true of 
dirt biking. I think that's true of life, and I think that's true of following Jesus. When you set your eyes on Jesus, you go where he is. You move in his direction. And that's the way that we live the Christian life. We set our eyes on Jesus, and we move in his direction, and, and he empowers us to do the work that he's called us to do. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of your faith. If you look at the gully, you're probably going to find yourself in the gully. Just being honest. So that's how we run the race. But what are the, th what are the things that we tend to get focused on in life? Well, I think there's, I mean, there's probably dozens and dozens of things that we find ourselves focused on other than Jesus, but I've narrowed them down to just three. And the first one is others. I think we tend to focus our eyes on people other than Jesus, just spiritual teachers and gurus and, and mentors. And uh, these people are not bad people necessarily, but they're just not Jesus. And here's the reality. People are always going to let you down. Uh, I don't know if there's anybody so naive in this room as to think that you're not going to get let down by people, but people are always going to let you down no matter what. Your spouse will let you down, and your best friend will let you down, but Jesus will never let you down. I think the reason that we're supposed to fix our eyes on Jesus and not on one another uh, is because of what happened to my friend, my mentor. He, uh, he was a young man, and he had fixed his eyes on a local Christian leader in his life. And this Christian leader had a moral failure. And like he had, I think he cheated on his wife. We don't have to get into the details, but long story short, my, my mentor was thinking to himself, man, I don't know if I'm going to be able to keep moving forward with Jesus, not because of something that Jesus did, but because of something that this, this local Christian leader had done. And it's like, no wonder, G the author of Hebrews, no wonder the Word of God says, fix your eyes on Jesus, because we need to raise our gaze. We need to look to Jesus. If we don't look to Jesus, we're going to be let down. I think the second thing that's really common for us to look at in our culture is our goals. Now, don't get me wrong, goals are great. I have nothing against goals inherently, unless those goals supersede Christ. If Jesus is not your ultimate goal, I suspect that you're finding yourself off on some tangent somewhere. Like, there's nothing inherently wrong, necessarily, with wanting to, like, stand on a stage and, 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 and perform, like, like be an actor. There's nothing inherently wrong with that unless that's more important than Jesus. If Jesus is more important than being an actor to you, I suspect that you'll use your acting gifts to, to share the good news of Jesus, to proclaim his name wherever you go. Same is true for wealth. There's, there's nothing necessarily inherently bad about wanting to live a comfortable life, unless it's more important to you than Jesus. That's the, that was the case with the rich young ruler. Money was more important to him than Jesus. He had fixed his eyes on money instead of Jesus. If you fix your eyes on Jesus first, I suspect that you don't just hoard your wealth and, and keep it locked away somewhere. I suspect that you're using it to help people and to, to proclaim the name of Jesus and to see others lifted up if Jesus is your ultimate goal. I think we need to fix, I think that's why it's so important to fix our eyes on Jesus as our ultimate goal. And all these other goals kind of fall underneath. And then the last, but in my opinion, by far most common place that we fix our eyes is me. 
Oh, how we love to fix our eyes on me. Isn't it true? We're obsessed with ourselves. Who are, who's the first person we think about when we get out of bed? Probably me. <laughs> oh, this is how I'm feeling. This is what I'm thinking. I'm not saying that it's, I'm not advocating that we don't take care of ourselves. Like, so if your body is speaking to you that you need to drink water, by all means, drink water. Or that you need rest, by all means, get rest. Or whatever, like meet the needs of your body, meet the needs of who you are as a person. But we are living in a self-care movement that puts me as more important than every single person perpetually, always and forever. And that is not healthy and it's not biblical and you can't find it anywhere in scripture. What you can find everywhere in Scripture is count others as more significant than yourselves. Think of others as more important. That's what you can, love others. That's what you can find everywhere in the Bible. We have fixed our eyes on ourselves. I've never been more depressed than like uh, five, six years ago, I was going through all of the, this training, and as a result of my training, people were having me go through all of these personality tests. Uh, I did like the Myers-Briggs and the Enneagram, and I sat in front, I did like a really long psychological analysis and then sat in front of a therapist who said, you're crazy, but I'm telling you that because I think you think it's a compliment, and I was like, you're right. And then, <laughs> uh, yeah, it, I, I, like, I, like I literally did 10 personality tests, and as the results of these personality tests came in, I found myself constantly thinking, man, I suck. Man, I just wish I was like that other person. Man, I just wish I was that person or that person, because always and forever, these personality tests were coming back to me, and they were saying, you're not cut out for this thing that you believe God is calling you to do. You believe God's calling you to preach the gospel and go from place to place and lead the church. You believe that that's what God's calling you to do. And none of the tests said that I should do that. All of them said that I should sit in a closet and do math equations. Like, that's what, the, that's what they indicated. And I was like, can I just be someone else? And I was so depressed, and I was just cutting myself down all the time, and I was thinking, man, please, I just want to be someone else. And finally... What got me out of this funk was the realization that it doesn't really matter what a test says. It doesn't really matter who I am. It matters who he is in me. That's why we fix our eyes on Jesus. He's the one who empowers us to do the things that are impossible. All the personality tests said I shouldn't be here, but here I am. Obviously not by my strength, but by his. He's the one who empowers us to do these things. He's the one who empowers us to move forward and, and be filled with the Spirit and proclaim the good news and all of these things. It's all him. If you don't fix your eyes on Jesus, all you'll be is a cheap imitation. You need him in order to run the race that he has set out before you. So the call today is simply this. It's simply to raise your gaze. Look up. Look to Jesus. Get your eyes off yourself. Get your eyes off this world. Get your eyes off others. And look to Jesus. And the way that we do that, it, man, I've said this probably 30,000 times, so you're probably getting tired of hearing it come out of my mouth. You just spend time with him like reading your Bible. And you don't read your Bible just for the sake of reading your Bible. Well, I'm a good Christian today, so I read my Bible, blah, blah. No, 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 no. 
Read your Bible to get to know the one who loves you the most. Pray. Prayer is a conversation with the creator of the universe. Like, and he hears. Guys, the last three weeks, I have watched God answer prayers that have been, uh, me and Taylor have been praying for two years. Uh, And some of you in here have been praying prayers for much longer than that. He's the God of the universe. He's at work. He wants to answer your prayers. He wants to have a conversation with you. He wants to be up close to you. He wants to be with you. Be a part of a local body of Christ like this one. But don't just come and consume. The, the, the worst thing that the church has ever done for Christians is teach you that you can come and sit in a chair for 40 years and put your money in the plate, and that's all that you're designed to contribute. No, 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 no. You're designed to contribute the fullness of who God made you to be. Are you creative? Are you, are you funny? Are you relational? Are you, well, who are you? Contribute who you are to this body and watch what God does with it. Hang out with him. Spend time with him. Be with him. That's how you fix your eyes on him. And the more you're with him, the more you'll become like him, and the more you'll be empowered to do the things that he's calling you to do, and you'll be able to run the race and finish it well. So, raise your gaze. Look up. Look to Jesus. He'll do it. Father, we praise you. We thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness to us. We thank you that you're knowable. (laughs) You're not distant. You're not far away. You're just right here, right up close, right nearby. Father, I pray that uh, if there's anyone in this place right now who hasn't experienced your up-close presence, Father, reveal yourself to them now. Lord, I know that your heart beats for these people. You love them so much that you died for them. Lord, I know that your heart beats for us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to fix our eyes on you, that you'd help us to get our eyes off of all these other things, that you would help us to be empowered to do the things that you're calling us to do. Help us, Lord, through your Holy Spirit. Lord, we can't do it alone. We cannot do this without you. We need you, Lord. Please, in Jesus' name, help us to follow you because we can't do it alone. Help us to abide in you because if we don't, we know we won't bear fruit. Lord, help us to be with you. Father, help us to set aside time, special time every day to be with you. Remind us, convict us, Draw us. Let us not forget. Let us not make other things more important. Lord, we need you to move. We need you to be the living God that you are in all of our lives not the empty cross that we have hanging on the wall in our house, 
not the encouraging words. We need you, the living God, to be the one who moves in our life. Pray this all in Jesus' mighty name.